0: Mac Power Users, episode 502, I Saw Your Face on the Internet. Hello, and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I am joined, as always, by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hello, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you? Happy to be on the microphone. Uh, you know, it's Mac Power Users
1: Day. That, that's the best day. It's a good day. I enjoy, I enjoy starting my week with this. Yeah, it's a feedback episode. These are always fine because there's, there's so much great stuff we get from the listeners and it gives us a chance to share some of it, check in on a few things. You and I bought some new hardware. We can talk about that today at some point. I'm looking forward to the show.
0: Yeah, and me too. Before we get started, uh, one last reminder that we have MPU 500 merchandise up. With the moment this show goes live, you have... About two hours, if you want to grab a T-shirt. So uh, we're going to be hopefully uh, at the very end of that, and we've been reminding people. So if you have waited, your time is almost up, or up, depending on when you listen to this. Uh, But we have coins and stickers and patches as well too. So that link is over in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who uh, ordered a shirt or ordered something. I look forward to seeing all those MPU 500 shirts. At future live shows and WBC, when we make it out into the world, it's always a real treat. Now,
1: the coins are going to remain up for a while, right?
0: Yeah, so the, the coins and everything we have stock of, and we're just going to yeah. sell the stock out however long that takes. So I can't say for sure when that will be, but the, the T-shirts are a pre-order type deal so they can be printed. So those have that, that window.
1: And the coins and whatnot are running out, so... Not to create a sense of urgency, but there is a little bit of one here.
0: I yeah, I think so. I think it's uh, if you haven't looked at this yet, now is the time. All right,
1: Steven, you did a telethon. That's you guys keep calling it a podcastathon, but I watched it and I saw your face on the internet. So you you made a telethon.
0: We did Twitchathon. We streamed it on Twitch, was which was a new experience for me. Yeah, and uh, it's on YouTube now, and the audio's up. So we have linked to all that in the show notes. If you if you missed it on uh, last Friday. You can still watch it. It'll be on YouTube for all time.
1: Lots of uh, fun and disturbing things all at once <laughs> going on on that, on that screen. But I wanted to talk to you as a Mac Power user because uh, you, were right, you ran this thing for six hours. There was a ton of technology, and I, I, I played a little role in it. And I saw on the back end all the people you had managing things and Slack channels, and you had a bunch of stuff going on at once. How did you make all that work?
0: yeah, I've been looking forward to talking about this because the uh, the podcastathon was far more than just me and Mike on screen for six hours. We had a lot of guests, including yourself, so thank you again for coming on. It was just a lot of moving parts and a lot of people. So I kind of wanted to start by talking about all the things that went into it and like there was a control room with four or five, six people in it. Uh, but it was a it was a two camera setup. So Mike and I were in this huge studio. Uh, with what's called a psych wall, which is which is a curved wall, it's painted white, so it gives you the the sort of floating in space type vibe, like we saw in those old Johnny I videos. Like he's trapped in the white room. It looked just like that. We had it lit, sort of like this peachy orange color, but you could light it any way you want. And there were two cameras, both operated, uh, you know, camera operators. And they had zoom lenses, and they were on big, rolly tripods, so they could move them around. And you'll see that if you watch the video, lots of different angles. All those came from uh, just from two cameras. Uh, Mike and I used our regular microphones. In fact, the microphone stands you see are mine. Like, it's what we use in our live shows. Uh, He and I, and David, you too, we use the Neumann KMS-105. And uh, it's a great microphone. It was especially great for this environment where there was some background noise, and some sort of chaos happening off screen at times, and it, did, it didn't pick any of that up, which is really nice. But there was a bunch of Apple hardware, too. So we we did this demo of the of the iPhone 11 Pro of the cameras, and that was done via AirPlay to an Apple TV. And then the HDMI from the Apple TV was, was sent to the control room and captured in their system. So they could just choose the Apple TV as an input. I get that. You know, that. That's
1: the common setup these days, right? You get an Apple TV and you can produce anything from iOS. Um, we hear from a lot of people that are afraid to do that because of that wireless component.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, do you ever
1: have any fear? Do you have any problems with it?
0: it? It behaved pretty well. And there was there's a lot of equipment in that studio, as you may imagine. The Apple TV was basically right off screen. And so the, the TV, the Apple TV and the phone were very close together. We didn't have any trouble.
1: I have a friend who just did a, uh, like a, a 2 month trial like a long trial mm-hmm. same thing he called me up ahead of time he's like well how do i get my cuz he was using the um the ipad with TrialPad, which is a great trial app. And and I set him up with an Apple TV and we created a little network in the courtroom. He ran it for two months. He didn't have a fail once. I, I think this is a lot more stable than people give it credit for at this point.
0: Yeah, we, we had wanted to run video out over Lightning, but we had some issues with that. Maybe related to iOS 13, I'm not really sure. So we ended up uh, falling back to AirPlay. My only complaint about it was that from the iPhone, to the Apple TV over AirPlay it does support rotation. So if you have if you're in Safari and you turn the phone sideways, it will fill up the TV screen. But for whatever reason the camera app won't rotate uh, over AirPlay. <laughs> so if you if you pay attention uh, during the, the stream. I think at some point I did turn the phone to landscape and you can see all the labels turn 90 degrees in the camera app UI, but the camera app itself won't rotate over AirPlay. I, that seems to be a limitation that's been there for some time. <laughs> that was a little frustrating to me because I wanted to fill the screen, but you know it worked yeah. well enough and it was a pretty short demo. So we just kind of lived with it.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I I wonder how they missed that. <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, who knows? It's, it's like, doesn't you know, the camera app gets a little use on that device? So. Right. right. <laughs> uh,
0: we Mike and I each also had our, our MacBook Pros. You can see them in frame the whole time. Uh, we captured HDMI video and audio from his laptop for a game that he and I played. My MacBook Pro was just there plugged in just for reference, which I'll talk about in a little while. Uh, but those MacBook Pros were sort of our so one of our lifelines out to the real world. And then people like David, when you came on, we used Skype, which is what we normally use here at Relay FM most of the time. Uh, this was different because there was video, and we fell back to audio only. Like for Federico, we had trouble. So we just used audio and had a picture of him on screen. Uh, but all of that stuff, like cameras, microphones, Skype, Apple TV, all that got piped into the control room, and they were using a, a, a TriCaster setup, which is basically some software that allows a controller to have multiple video sources and put them out as one stream in a bunch of different ways. So you'll see, you know, two ups where he's like Mike and I at the table and then David, you're like a floating box over Skype or having uh, video input like from an Apple TV or they played their own videos. So really giving them a lot of control of what the audience saw as time went on. and And that was, you know, a group of people working. It's a big a uh, board with a bunch of buttons and a PC and a bunch of software. And there was a whole team uh, running that setup for us.
1: I watched a bunch of it in addition to participating. I thought it was really professionally done. I mean, it just seemed like everything was moving really well. The lower thirds were showing up and you guys did a great job with it. And, and also we didn't mention, congratulations. Relay has raised, as we record this, over a quarter of a million dollars <laughs> for St. Jude. That is amazing.
0: It It is really humbling. Uh, I, I really mean that sincerely. This is so far beyond what we anticipated or expected the Relay audience. Uh, and really, it's bigger than Relay. I mean, it's, it's sort of like the, the Apple community online has really rallied behind this. And so to raise a quarter of a million dollars, we actually did that in exactly one month between the Relay FM family feud. And the day we hit a quarter million was exactly one month. And that is just Breathtaking to me. So if you donated, yeah. thank you so yeah. much. Uh, that is still running to the end of the very end of the month. So if you haven't donated and you would like to, you can go to stjude.org slash relay and, and donate there. But um, at this point, obviously, a lot of people have, and that's it's really cool.
1: Now, I, I want to make a point that I made a, a second donation when I went on the air. I, I put in enough money to require Mike to peel off a sticker and you to put on a sticker. Mm hmm. And while Mike did take a sticker off, you did not put one on for me. Well, well, not, not live I feel, on the air.
0: I didn't have any stickers. Well, I just,
1: I'm just saying, I'm just saying right now that I, I want since I bought that sticker, mm-hmm. I want to be able to choose the sticker. Wow! Can I have a, can I have a role in that? I, sure. I, I think the listeners in the forum should uh, in this episode notes give me some ideas. Okay. I would, I would very much like to make this an interesting okay. sticker we put on Steve. Now nothing you mean, we're not going to do it we're not going there. This isn't a negative show, sure. but you guys give me some good ideas cuz I, <laughs> I want to uh, I know how much it drives you crazy and I yeah. just want to get get the most of my money right there.
0: There you go. <laughs> I'd mentioned that we did this on Twitch. and I'm not sure how familiar our listeners are with Twitch. I had v- basically no experience with it uh before this campaign. It's it's effectively a game streaming service. There's a bunch of software, mostly for the PC. There is some Mac software that, that will interface with Twitch. Most of it's not super good. Of course, this is just an area where the PC uh, is ahead of the Mac, I think, for the most part. But, you know, it, it live-streamed it for us. We had a chat room. We had lots of stats on how many people were watching. And then Twitch actually saves the file as it's being streamed. So we we didn't have to, like create a file, you know, at the end of the night on a computer somewhere, it was basically available uh, to us on Twitch, both to download and then Twitch actually has just uh, an option to say send to YouTube. So instead of downloading, it was like 12 gigabytes at the end of the night, instead of me downloading that file and then re-uploading it to YouTube, which would have taken forever, Basically, Twitch can just send it to YouTube and then YouTube processed it over several hours, and I could just hit publish. so that that part actually, like the post-production was basically non-existent because the control room did such a good job. There wasn't anything that we that we needed to to take out or change. And then Twitch gave us the tools just to move it to YouTube automatically, which was a huge time saver for me.
1: but that's I mean, that's the whole business of Twitch, right? It's about streaming gaming. That's their mm-hmm. main gig. And that's exactly what you need to do. So I'm sure all those pipes are connected really well between Google and Twitch. In fact, didn't somebody buy Twitch? Which company owns Twitch at this point? Uh,
0: Amazon owns Twitch. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, either way, I'm, sh- I'm sure they're connected. Well, that must have been nice for you because I'm sure usually you, you you would have been the one that had to do all that post.
0: Right. I mean, most of if if anyone's been to our live shows you'll know that our live shows start by me coming on stage and then hitting record on a bunch of things, right? Like, like none of that yeah. was on us this time we brought our own microphones because we wanted to, but past that, there was no production work on, on my part, which was, which was really nice because that's always something during a live show that, that is taking up cycles for me. That is always something I'm, I'm thinking about. I'm checking the recording, making sure we're okay. And it can be a little distracting. And over the course of six hours, I knew that I needed to be in the game as much as possible. And so just knowing that there's a team of professionals uh, at St. Jude and Allsac who were taking care of this just was a huge weight off my shoulders.
1: Now, in addition to all the uh, production stuff going on, you also had a whole system for dealing with guests and... And keeping the content rolling, I know you kept, I, I noticed watching it, you would be looking at your screen mm-hmm. and you just said earlier, your screen was kind of like your connection, right? How were you doing that? How are you getting the word from who's coming up next and what needs to happen?
0: Yeah. So there, there were a couple of ways that we could communicate. So Mike and I were each wearing earpieces. You can see him in a lot of the shots and the uh, the lead in the control room could talk to, to either Mike or me, or both of us at the same time. So if Mike was talking, John would talk to me and say, hey, after this, we're going to go to video, or, you know, we're having trouble getting this guest, you have a few minutes to fill, and just kind of giving us like a running clock as as things were coming up. The whole evening was laid out in a Google sheet broken down into 15 minute blocks. Now, several things took up several blocks, but we just worked in 15 minute increments. Um, But we were also using Slack, I, I, I picked up very quickly that Especially if like fundraising numbers were read to me over the earpiece, that I would lose track of them very quickly. And so we sort of, we, we initially were just going to use Slack really for us to talk to the control room because obviously if we're interviewing somebody, I can't stop and say, oh, hey, control room, how much time do we have left? Over the evening, we sort of adjusted and relied on Slack a little bit more for things like this is coming up, fundraising updates. Uh, a lot of the uh, talking points and like this much money means this much, this many things was sort of being fed to us through Slack um, every once in a while. We just had sort of a collection of those. And just so as we needed to know things, again, in the hands of a really creative, really professional team, uh, they would communicate with us uh, whichever way was was the best. And through those earpieces, we could hear our Skype guests and hear if there was a video. Uh, so we could see the stream uh, on a display that was in between the cameras and there was a uh, St. Jude video content playing. We could hear that through our earpieces as well. So it was just kind of being plugged in enough to know what's going on. But, you know, throughout the evening, you also see us like talk to the control room and we kind of decided to do that because the relay audience kind of likes the behind the scenes stuff like we're, like we're doing right now. And I thought that it would be okay for us to show some of the seams of how this went together. Not a lot of them. In fact, we often use the St. Jude videos to cover up seams, like we're changing sets or someone's coming on or someone's coming off. Showing how some of it was made, I thought was sort of interesting. And so we didn't hide all of it. You can do this in a way where you'll never know that there's anyone else in the room, but we wanted to show that this was a team effort and kind of how it was being put together. So that Google sheet was being updated. Slack was being updated. People are talking in our ear and through all of that, we're able to walk through the schedule and make adjustments on the fly.
1: Yeah. And, and it was really fun seeing the team effort. I I think you made the right call there. Um, I, I'm just thinking back to me, like the gold standard on this when I was growing up where those Jerry Lewis telethons, you may be too young to remember them, but, but they were constantly talking to the, uh, control, you know, there was a lot of interaction going on. Everybody knew this was a big production. And I think that's kind of part of the fun. Although I still wish that Mike had undone his bow tie. Oh, I know. But apparently that wasn't possible (laughs) somehow. It
0: was a a real bow tie, but like sort of permanently tied somehow. I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. I I know. I'm sorry about that. But um, (laughs) yeah, it was neat to, to do something on such a large scale because normally it's like, With a live relay show, like, what you see is what you get. Like, even the Family Feud, everything that was happening was being generated on stage, right? Mike was running the scoreboard. I was recording. Jason is there. Like, you just see it all. And that's really interesting. I think it it adds a fun element to our shows. But this was just too big for that. This required uh, the team of people that were there to help us.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the friendship that you have with Mike and just... Kind of the roll up your sleeves attitude everybody took towards this thing was obvious as someone watching mm-hmm. and inspirational. I think you guys did great. Uh, one question I have for you is: you were on air essentially for six hours. I mean, yeah, this is that's hard. If if you're listening, you've never done something like this. I mean, like after we record. Uh, Mac power users episode, like I always need like a half hour where I don't talk to anyone (laughs) and just kind of like go into my shell for about a half hour, Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe take a walk or something. But the, uh, but six hours, that's a long time. How did you manage your energy and kind of keep yourself going?
0: There was a moment about an hour in, maybe an hour and 20 minutes in that I looked at the clock and I thought, this has been a huge mistake. There's no way we can keep this up. But honestly, after that point, once we were into hour two, it really wasn't a problem for me. Not not that I wasn't tired at the end of it. I definitely was. But staying on, on target with it wasn't difficult. And I think a lot of it was the excitement of being able to do it and to do so, such a huge production, such a special thing and to do it for a cause that I deeply care about. That was plenty, you know, and that's not to say there wasn't caffeine behind the scenes and those things, but staying engaged with it. Like, I don't think we, we got to where we were dragging at the end. And honestly, we were a lot more put together at the end of it. You know, sometimes after these things, you get you get at the end of it, and you're a little loopy, right? You're a little silly. And I, I don't think either Mike or I felt that, because we were there for a serious reason. We were there to do a job. That job was to raise money for St. Jude. And being on task with that was not a difficult thing to do. Again, not to say I wasn't tired, not to say that I didn't sleep a lot this pa- the weekend afterwards, but uh, it, it really wasn't, that part wasn't the challenge that I thought it would be initially. And like I said, after we were a couple hours in, the rest of it actually went by pretty quickly for me.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think it's, you did a great job. I felt like you were just a little punchy toward the end, but in a good way, kind of like <laughs> you could feel the incoming punchy. And sure, the other thing I noticed from the beginning to the end is you got way more comfortable in that role. Like yes. when it started, this was the first time you've ever done anything like this. And you could tell everything was new, but by the end you had kind of figured out and that, you know, that Brings its own stress relief as Mm -hmm. you know, you're not doing it for the first time. And after six hours, you were I was so impressed with both you and Mike and the whole team. And there was a bunch of people behind the scenes from relay, um, helping out, you know, moderating the chat rooms Mm -hmm. and keeping everybody on track. And they was such a team effort. And and I'm just so happy I, when, when you, I, I told you this when I guessed it, that when you told me 50,000 or was it 75,000 was the original goal? Yeah. 75. Yeah. I thought, oh, they're going to beat that. But man, a quarter of a million dollars, that is, that's <laughs> it's,
0: great. It's serious, right? And, nah, uh. That's awesome. And, and, uh, I don't want this to go by without mentioning Mike and I's wives. So Mary and Adina were there. They were extremely helpful. They actually ran not only relays social media, but the, uh, the social media for Mike and I both personally. And that really was a huge help because we know we wanted to share things as they were happening, but we would be completely unable to do so. And so we actually had a strategy for that. So the, the tweets that relay sent during the show were pre-written again, they were in like the Google sheet with all the planning. Adina would take those and then change them. If something in the schedule had changed, it was like, okay, on this, this hour, so-and-so is coming. We're going to do this. And then she would post photos uh, with those tweets, and then uh, Mary and Dina also handled our, our personal social media retweeting things, sharing things on Instagram. I'll have the my uh, stories highlight in the show notes if people want to see uh, a bunch of pictures from the from the weekend. So that was really helpful, just knowing that all that was just being taken care of. Again, normally we're doing that. But this was too big for us to do it on our own. And so Mary and Adina really stepped up and were extremely helpful in that regard.
1: Yeah. Well, well congratulations, friend. I mean, that Thank you. that was great. That was great. Now, in the back of your mind, you're probably already thinking about next year, I
0: bet. We're, we're already talking about it. <laughs> this episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by our friends over at one Password. OnePassword is a critical part of my workflow because it knows all the logins for all of my accounts and not just the important ones like banking or a credit card or something like that, my, my Apple ID, but any online account that I have. I actually just this morning had to deal with something with the state of Tennessee, had to log into some online business account, some terrible state website, and OnePassword it, it knew that password. So I was able to log in quickly and easily. One of my favorite things about 1Password is the team over at Agile Bits work really hard to support the latest Apple technology. So iOS 13 is just out, and 1Password 7.4 for iOS is ready for it. So they have a dark mode, which looks so good on the iPhone with the OLED displays. Uh, it's a dark mode in 1Password for iOS. They've even added a special dark icon, which looks really good, um, but They've gone further than that. Dark mode is cool, but things like voice control are really important because it it allows everyone to use an iOS device uh, uh, with their voice. And 1Password is there on day one with iOS 13 for support for voice control. So you can search, open, edit, and share items all without ever touching the screen, which is just fantastic. I love when the apps and developers that I love and use every day, when they are there with new features on day, on day one, and 1Password is always in that camp. It's also back to school. So I like to talk about 1Password for families, which allows you to share a vault or multiple vaults of passwords and logins with family members. So you can have some set up for just you and your significant other. Maybe you have a kid going off to college or high school. Maybe they have a, a an iPad or a notebook in school, and they want access to uh, some passwords I and mean, all of them you can set up and share just with those uh, students just with those kids. And it makes it really easy to manage. We've been using one password for families at home since it came out. And Mary and I really do love it. Head on over to onepasswordcom MPU to learn more and to sign up for a free 30 day trial. And when you do sign up, you'll get 20% off. That's onepassword.com slash MPU.
1: All right. We uh we did a show on launchers and got a bunch of feedback on that, uh particularly uh, aimed at Alfred.
0: Yeah, we we spent a lot of time on Alfred and it was it was inevitable going into this episode that there would be things about Alfred and Launch Bar and Spotlight, honestly, that we would uh, not have time to or that we would miss. And there were a couple of things that uh, people uh, in the forums really wanted, wanted to make sure that we had covered. So a lot of this comes from the forums. If you're not on the forums, you should go check them out at talk.macpowerusers.com. I'm actually going to put the thread for this. Uh, this episode was 497. I'm going to put the thread for that in the show notes. It's a, I think it's a really good example at the awesome community we have over there. Uh, but some features that we uh, we didn't get to or that we weren't quite sure on, uh, we have some some clarification now. But before we get to that. David, you were using Spotlight and Alfred and LaunchBar and like some sort of uh, Rube Goldberg machine of app launching. So have you settled down onto anything? (laughs) Not really. I mean, I
1: kind of wanted to be bilingual. I, I, I started using LaunchBar first and you know how it goes. That's... You get those shortcuts under your fingers, so that's the one you use. And as we talked about in that show, LaunchBar, Alfred, if you're using one of them, you're fine. You don't need to switch. They're they're both really powerful and awesome. And they do seem to, like, catch up with each other with each release. You know, every time there's a new release, one of them gets what the other one just got and adds something new, and then the battle's back on. But I just wanted to get better at using Alfred because I'd never really committed to it. And I've been using Alfred primarily. I switched my, what is it, my option key? Yeah, my option key to Alfred, which had been Launchbar for many years. And um, I really like it. Alfred's great. I mean, it's it's an awesome app. I do like the user stuff. Um, We're going to go over some of them in this segment, but I'm really impressed with the way the users have stepped up with Alfred. Where if there's a feature that's not there, like one of the, you know, launch bar has great emoji support, somebody built it for Alfred. You know, it's not it's not there by default, but with one download, you can have that feature, and and I do like that the ability to improve upon the application that that Alfred gives you.
0: It's almost as if Alfred, Alfred is. Uh, like a like a foundation, and you can build your own house atop it right where you can have two people side by side who have been using Alfred for years, and their installations look vastly different because they 've customized them to infinity and beyond almost right like they don't they can even look yeah. different visually, but all the the plugins yeah. and the things you can use it really makes it flexible
1: yeah agreed, and some of the feedback we got back was i want there's a feature on launch bar that I really like where you can select files in the finder or on the desktop and then just press a button and then they're selected in launch bar. And I like to do that for like um, moving files or file management type stuff. You know, it's it's way better than like trying to grab them with the mouse and drag them and play, place them somewhere. Uh, it's probably just as good as hitting Command-C and Command-V, which you can now do you know, in the Finder on Mac. But, but I like the idea of just selecting files and having them with this launch assistant so I can do a whole bunch of stuff to them. Um, resizing photos is a good example. Uh, after we publish a show, somebody wrote in, there is a keyboard shortcut for that. It's Command plus Option plus Backslash. So if you have something mm-hmm. selected and you hit those, then it selects it in alfred and then you can do all the you know file management stuff on it and i would add to that that this doesn't just work on a single file with alfred you can select a group of files so like if you've got a bunch of stuff on your best desktop you can uh, you know select them all with the mouse or selectively select them and then hit this magic shortcut and then you're off to the races
0: yeah and you can like with everything else you can customize this Uh, in alfred this is under the preferences and then Uh, Actions, file actions. So you can change the uh, keyboard shortcut if you use uh, Command Backsplash or Command uh, Option Backslash with something else. But you can also turn off and on file actions. So for instance, if you never want to copy the path to the clipboard, you could just uncheck that action and it won't show up in that pop up window. So you can customize if you only do the same two or three things normally uh you can weed those out which is which is nice i i think we said this in the episode i'll say it again here if you're exploring any of these launchers spend time in their preferences because you will discover things that they do that you that you didn't know were there because most of these don't have much of a ui right they're they're basically just boxes you type into and so you can really dig in and see what they can do learn about their features by going through uh, the preferences. I definitely recommend that.
1: Yeah, like one of the things I've done with Alfred is I've created some custom actions that search just like my legal clients directory. So it's very easy to get to a specific client directory. I just type SL for Sparks Law then space, and then I can type in any client name and I get exactly to their directory on in the finder, which mm-hmm. is really, really fast. Um, one of the questions I had that I didn't, I couldn't figure out before we'd recorded that show was the launch bar trick to select multiple files from within launch bar. You know, just like sometimes you select files on the desktop, you want to activate them in launch bar. You also want to pick up files as you're doing searches through the launch bar window. And of course, there's a way to do this in Alfred too. Uh, they call it the file buffer and, as you go through it, and I, I have to be honest, I just got around to figuring this out about a half hour before we started recording, <laughs> and you know, you know, it was it was been an army focus, but that that darn field guide it took all my time for a month. But the um, uh, anyway, the um, so I've been playing with it, and the idea is you search like well, maybe you search for a folder and then you can arrow through the individual files and collect certain ones and then you can move, copy, pastes and do whatever you want with those files. And that's that's a feature I very much want. In fact, I still use Launchbar for that feature, but I want to do it with Alfred as well. And there is this file buffer and the way it works is you hold the option key down and if you hit arrow uh, uh, or sorry, option key arrow up while you're you're on a file it adds it to the buffer and you can add multiples and you know arrow down, I believe selects the file and goes to the next one. And then if you hit um, uh, option arrow left, it removes the file. So you can, you know, there's a way using keyboard shortcuts to kind of populate that file buffer with files. And then you can easily send them off as an email or move them to a new location or do whatever you want to do with them. All that being said, I figured out the mechanics of it, but I can't get it working because for whatever reason, when I hit the option key with arrow up, it opens a new finder window for me. And <laughs> uh, I have done so many automations to my Mac. I, I actually don't remember what is triggering this. Oh no. <laughs> and, and, I, and I want to talk about that in a second. I like, you know, keyboard conflicts are a thing, right? So all of us power users start adding things to our devices and suddenly we've got additional stuff happening. So I've got this keyboard conflict. When I hit option arrow up, it opens a finder window. And it's not a keyboard maestro script, because I went through all my keyboard maestro scripts. I have not used that as a trigger. And I i have gone through the, if you go through the preferences, the keyboard pane on your, like the, this is the way I would troubleshoot this problem. You go through the preferences pane on keyboard, you've got a list of keyboard shortcuts in there. I've got through most of those now. I don't see that there's a conflict there. And it's interesting because it's opening a Finder window. It's not opening like an alternate Finder, like Pathfinder or Forklift. So I don't think it's a third-party Finder app that's causing this. But between Show Prep, and I only had like five minutes to sort it out, I I still haven't figured out exactly what the conflict is. And uh, so (laughs) I wonder, maybe, you know what, maybe it's a launch bar conflict. I didn't think of that. It could be. Yeah. But the... um. It's an interesting thing you, that we have happen as nerds as we start getting better at our things. Sometimes uh, an expected behavior just doesn't happen.
0: Yeah. Like you said, you, you build multiple systems and uh, I wish there was a way in macOS to see some sort of like a master list of like all keyboard shortcuts known to the system, but that that doesn't seem to be uh, easily done. So you're kind of left hunting around for what what past you did, right? At some point. Yeah. Exactly, and it's interesting because that
1: this is a, must be a known issue with Alfred. Because if you go to the preference pane Stephen talked about, you go to Features slash File Search. There is a button there to change the modifier key to Shift um, Option, so I can hold down Shift Option and arrow up and add it. But that doesn't do anything for me. So I, my my keyboard conflicts are are expen- expansive <laughs> and, and all knowing. <laughs> Oh boy! Uh, if I if I put ten minutes into this, I'll figure it out. Maybe I'll report back on a future episode. But you know, it happens.
0: Yeah, let us know if you if you track that down. <laughs>
1: my my struggle. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. uh, so, something else we spoke about then was using Alfred and its custom workflows. And from that uh, forum post, someone had linked to this really neat emoji search by James Sumners. Uh, I installed this. It's over on GitHub, but there's a, a download package of just the Alfred workflow. So you don't have to worry about figuring out GitHub. Like you can just go download it. Yeah. And h- how this works is it has uh, a hotkey and you can basically search for an emoji by name and then hit return to copy it uh, to the pasteboard. So if I start typing green, I get, you know, green apple, evergreen tree, leafy greens. And if I hit return on leafy greens, that is now on the clipboard so I can paste it in wherever I'm going. I've been really impressed with this. I've been running it for a while now. And honestly, I think I'm going to move to this over Rocket, which is an app we spoke about on our menu bar episode months ago, which is a little Mac menu bar and it lets you put in emoji wherever you're typing, like you can in Slack. But I've become a little frustrated with Rocket over time. Like I, 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 the way I want to use it is, is kind of the opposite of the way that it wants to work, uh, you, where you start typing and you can move the arrows down and select what you want or keep typing. And I try to use the cursor sometimes and it freaks out. And I sort of like the idea of like having Alfred do a lot of things and, and letting it eat other menu bar apps slowly that I use. And so I've been using this emoji search in Alfred for a couple of weeks now. As like my the way into emoji on macOS, and I've gotten really fast at it. And because I use a clipboard manager again in Alfred, I don't mind that it's on my clipboard if something else was there. So I'm uh, I'm gonna keep keep rocking with this. And from the history of it, they seem to be really good at updating it when there are new emoji available in the system, which we'll get later this fall. So I'm going to uh, I'm gonna give this a shot for a little while. Yeah,
1: and the nice thing about this action is. Not only can you save it the the default behavior if you hit return is it saves it to your clipboard but i believe if you hit option return it saves the code to the clipboard the emoji code Ooh. and then if you hit command return it pastes it in the other app what not you know the the active app before you went to alfred so it's just it's really well done and i love the idea of removing Apps like Rocket, you know, as much as I like little apps, sometimes I like having one big app that does a bunch of different things. Exactly. And this kind of solves that problem. Um, some other real-time follow-up, as you were talking, I went through my uh, my Mac and shut several unneeded applications, mm-hmm. and now the keyboard shortcut works. So Hooray. Uh, if I have more time, I will go through and next time I boot up, I will shut them down one at a time until I find the culprit it's it's some application conflict. It's not uh, a system keyboard shortcut conflict. So now I figured it out. All right. Um, yeah, Alfred, good stuff. Lots of good feedback on that episode. What, what's your favorite emoji, Stephen? Really? I mean,
0: what's my favorite? The one I use the most is the orange heart. That's sort of like my thank you sort of emoji, like in places like Slack.
1: Yeah. You send that to me a lot. I feel like that's, that's like, the heart it's like you're you're sending me love, but you know, not that kind of love, right? Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: So I, I don't know if that's my favorite. It's my most used. I don't know I don't know what my favorite would would be like just on design. For some reason the steak emoji, like the little piece of meat, always sort of cracks me up because it just looks like a tiny steak. I don't know. I don't know if I have a favorite. That's you sprung that on me.
1: I, the zap. You know, it's it's a lightning bolt. Sparks. I mean yeah. I gotta I gotta love that. Then another way people do uh, emoji, in case you didn't know, is control option space on your keyboard Uh, will open up Apple's kind of emoji picker, which does a decent job. It kind of lays them all out for you. Like if you don't know what they look like, you can scroll through them and pick them. Mm -hmm. Um, You can keep a list of favorites, which is very handy if you just do a couple. But uh, I think this Alfred base method is faster and probably more fun, too. Yeah, I think so. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander. Unlock your productivity with Text Expander. With Text Expander, you can take anything you write repetitively and make it automatic. The example a lot of people like to think about is their cell phone. How often do you type your cell phone? Don't you hate writing those parentheses and hyphens and mm-hmm. messing around with the keyboard? You don't have to do that with Text Expander. I, mine is cell with two c's. You know, c c e l l. My cell phone gets gets popped right in wherever it is. But Text Expander is so much more than that because. Uh, text Expander is made by a gang of super geeks that love making things aut- work automatically on your Mac and your iOS devices. With Text Expander, you don't just fill in pre generated text like a contract term or, or your cell phone number, you can actually have it Give information from outside the world inside your pre formatted text. Like one of the things I do often is whenever I talk to somebody about something important, I might take notes from the call and I just type XDTS for X is the beginning and then date time string XDTS and it puts in the date and the time. It just it grabs it from the internet and pops it in as text wherever my cursor is. And that's a great way to capture notes. So I know exactly when I spoke to the person and then I can write a few notes underneath about what we talked about. Um, you can do fill-ins where you can type in names. Like when we do uh, customer support for some of the Max Sparky stuff, if somebody has a problem, quite often I will use a text expander snippet and it will prompt me to fill in their name. So I can just have text expander you know, fire off the email response, but it'll say, insert name. And then I type the name in, puts a name in and personalizes it. But it even goes a step further than that because Text Expander also works with popular scripting languages. So for instance, I have an Apple script that will take the recipient's name from an Apple mail email. So if I write an email to Steven, it'll look at the to line and say, oh, he's writing this to Steven. So Text Expander will prepare the reply for me but it will grab Steven's name using an Apple script from the subject line, and it'll say hi Steven, comma, and then fill in the text for me. You know, all this stuff is just amazing, powerful automation tools that you get with Text Expander. And if you really dig in with this as a Mac power user, you're gonna really love it. Uh, it's available for Mac OS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. Hearing from a lot of listeners that um, have to go to work and use a Windows computer, and they're so happy now they get their Text Expander over there. You know, once you get your subscription. You've got it on all the devices. They sync your your snippets for you. So when you go to work, you've got that great snippets and text expander features that you have home on your Mac. Uh, And if you're a show listener, you get 20% off for your first year. So head over to TextExpander.com slash podcast. They have a near and dear place in my heart. They were the very first sponsor of this podcast. They're wonderful people making some great apps. TextExpander.com slash podcast. Let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users.
0: All right, let's talk a little bit about backups. And I wanted to talk about Backblaze in particular. We had a lot of feedback around this and some questions that we wanted to make sure we we cleared up about the, uh, the online backup service that you and I both recommend. We both use it. There were a lot of questions about Backblaze's policy of a 30-day history. So how it works is if you delete a keynote document from your desktop on your computer. It will remain on Backblaze for 30 days. And then after that, Backblaze will remove their copy of it. So you can think about this in contrast with Time Machine. Time Machine will keep that old keynote file on the the Time Machine drive until that Time Machine drive fills up, which could be, for some people, months or years. So you have a longer safety net with Time Machine than you do with Backblaze. That's why we recommend the 3 one rule, right? Where you have multiple levels of backup. So you have a longer safety net with Time Machine and Backblaze gives you the protection of having your data offsite. but you don't want to rely on just one or the other. For me, the 30-day deal, the 30-day history is not a, a big problem at all. Backblaze, like we discussed, is my third level backup If I've got to reach the Backblaze or something, it's really out of convenience. Like if I'm on the road, I can use their iOS app to like download a document that wasn't a Dropbox or something like that. But it's something to consider. And it leads to this question that we didn't address because honestly, I didn't think about it while we were prepping for that show, is what happens if you're using Backblaze on a drive, say an external drive, that is offline most of the time, or you're going to take it offline, say you're going on vacation, you're going to shut down your computer, or you're traveling or something like that, that 30-day window could come back to bite you, right? Because if the external drive isn't seen or or the computer isn't seen for 30 days, Backblaze, according to this policy, would uh, get rid of those files. And so they have a really helpful document. It's in the show notes called What Happens to My Backups When I'm Away. And it does reiterate that your... internal or external hard drive needs to be connected and scanned by Backblaze at least once every 30 days. Uh, They do send lots of emails saying, hey, your computer's been offline for seven days, 14 days, 21 days. You need to get it back online so we know what's going on. But they do allow you to pause Backblaze for up to six months, which is basically just freeze everything as it is. There's directions on how to do that in that document, so you can go through there if if you're in that situation. But I think for most people, most of the time, including myself, you know, I have a laptop that I I don't use every day. Sometimes I go weeks without using it. I've never run up against this. And so I think that unless you're just in a really unusual circumstance, the 30-day history is, is not a big deal from the way I see things. What do you think?
1: Well, I think you need to be aware of it. And mm-hmm. um and actually, it's funny because this has kind of benefited me. Um, a few times, I've had my archive drive go offline for one reason or another, and I didn't notice. You know, I I just didn't look in the Finder and, and see that the little archive drive had been disconnected. And I got an email from Backblaze, and um then I was able to to just reconnect it and and be back in shape. But but you know, the whole point of it, I guess, from my vantage point, was. An extra benefit of this is when you have external drives connected, you get to back those up. And I I love that because I have so much content on those external drives that are, are connected directly to my device. I think this kind of weighed in on my ultimate decision to not use like a NAS drive because I'm like, well, I'm getting the online backup with stuff directly connected. I mean, there's also the speed. There's the fact that these external drives have gotten so much cheaper over the years and lighter and they're they're bus powered. So they're just so much easier to deal with that um, I decided I will take on the responsibility of getting all of this backed up to extra drives that I lost when I had a NAS that was duplicating everything all the time. Mm-hmm. I'll take that on responsibility for the trade-off of, uh, cheaper, lighter, and always backed up to backblaze. So um, there's a trade-off here, and, and you definitely need to be aware of that when you make that decision. And if you're going to be using a service like this and expecting it to back up drives that are going to be offline for th- more than 30 days, well, I guess we should have covered it, but honestly, it never occurred to me either because I've always got these things attached. So
0: yeah. you got us. You got us. We one. <laughs> yeah, like I said, you should be aware of it. I think you're right, but I think for the vast majority of circumstances, it's totally fine. And, and I can understand from Backblaze's perspective why they do this. Time Machine's different. You bought a drive, you own it, it's local, USB, you know, most of the time or, or across your network, but it's to a target that you own. And Backblaze, to their credit, we spoke with this, they're an engineering company, they build these huge server farms full of hard drives. But even as they do so, there has to be some sort of limit to what they keep right? They, they can't keep everything that was ever on your machine. And I think 30 days is a reasonable cutoff. And and if that's a, an issue for the way that you work, look at something like Arc Backup, which allows you to do things even to like the B2 cloud, which Backblaze runs or S3 or something like that. There are other options, but I think Backblaze wins for me because it's it's easy to set up, it's cheap, and I don't ever come across that 30-day timeout.
1: But one of the nice things you found in researching this question was the ability to pause your backblaze backup, which I didn't know that existed.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. So it's in the uh, the preferences. You basically make sure it's all the way up to date. And then you set it to say only backup when I manually say so. And that starts a six-month counter. You still run in. At the end, of say your drive's going to be offline for a year. You still have a problem. But... If you're, you know, traveling the rainforest for two months in between semesters of school, like six months will cover you.
1: Yeah. Nice. Nice to know. Yeah. Um, we got a question about iCloud Drive folders.
0: We did. A lot of people were asking, well, does Backblaze, is it does it capture things that are saved to my Dropbox or specifically to iCloud Drive? And for Backblaze, they will back up files that are locally on your disk. And so that that seems like a straightforward answer but gonna be a little tricky. So in terms yeah. of just iCloud Drive, so David, I know you use this, you have your your whole system of folders and subfolders. As long as those are synced to your Mac, Backblaze will back those up because they are local on the disk. Where you run into a little bit of gray area is with iCloud Photos. So on my iMac Pro, I have photos set to download all the high resolution original copies. And so if I go into Finder right now, and I look in my pictures folder, my photos library is absolutely massive, because it has 10s of 1000s of pictures, 1000s of video, lots and lots of stuff. If you're on a, a machine with a smaller SSD, you may not have that you may have iCloud, or you may have the photos app set to just download thumbnails. In that circumstance, Backblaze can't back up your original full-size photos because they're not on the local disk. Backblaze cannot navigate iCloud and request the full-size images. Any that happen to be on your local disk will be backed up, but it's not a guarantee. And we had a lot of questions about, well, if I want to back up my originals, how do I do that? And the the answer will be, if your internal drive doesn't have the space, buy an external hard drive and set photos up to sync its... Library to the external drive. I've got a link in the show notes on how to do that from the uh, from the K base, and it's really pretty straightforward to do. And then you set back, tell Backblaze also get this external drive. So if that's a question for you of how to get those iCloud photo library files onto Backblaze, you got to have them locally. That that's absolutely critical for Backblaze or any other cloud backup to work because they can't go out and like negotiate with iCloud to get your files back. Same thing with Dropbox. You can have Dropbox folders uh, not synced to your local machine. So I have a lot of these, a lot of Dropbox folders that I need access to once a year, but most of the time I don't need them and I don't want them taking up my bandwidth, syncing files around. And so they're not synced locally. Backblaze can't back that up because they're not on my local disk. They're, They're just on Dropbox. So it's important to understand if you're using a cloud service where your data actually lives. And if it's on your internal drive or an external drive, backblaze can touch it it's not
1: that easy to know these days whether you have your files downloaded or not and i think this is particularly a trap if you're on a laptop um but like when i bought my my new iMac a couple years ago i i bought the big hard drive because i just wanted to know all times i'd be able to download all of my photos and all of my primary documents and one of the reasons was for for backup and just having immediate access to them Um, If you go on your Mac into about this Mac, you know, up in the, under the Apple menu and -hmm. you look under storage, you'll see there's options there. One of them is to optimize your storage. And if you go down that rabbit hole, it will start storing files in iCloud for you. And not necessarily telling you that they're stored there. Apple kind of does this in a way like, we know best, just let us take care of it for you. Don't worry, your pretty little head. I don't like the way they do that in some ways. I mean, I understand what they're going for because people don't want to manage that stuff, but it's easy to get confused about that. And if you're on a laptop with a small, SSD, you may have even been prompted at some point to push that button because you were running out of storage, and those are the folks that get into trouble with a service like Backblaze because Backblaze, like Stephen said, it's there to back up the drive, the files that are on your drive. Well. If it's stored in iCloud, you'll see an icon for the file on your, your drive, but the actual file won't be there because there's not room for it. And they're, they're managing it for you. And when you need it, you, you tap on it and it downloads a copy. So long as you're connected to the internet and everything works, except that backup didn't work. So, Mm -hmm. um, just just be aware of it. Make sure you understand. And whether using Dropbox or iCloud, those are the two most popular. They both, uh, Dropbox does it kind of more manually. You do it in the settings. You tell it what you want and what you don't want. But they're even traffic with the name of the services, but they're trying to do it as well, where it kind of just manages it for you. And that's only going to become more of an issue going into the future as cameras get even bigger sensors and... um you know, and the files get even bigger. I, I think cameras and, and photo files are really one of the big issues here. But, but for me, all of my main files are downloaded and stored locally on my Mac. Same thing with my, my photos library. And if you only have a laptop and you just ran out of space and you had to do that thing where you download, where you, you sync it to the cloud so you don't have one place that all your photos are downloaded, you need to fix that. And, um, one way to do that, like Steven says, go get, this is something that would justify buying an external drive. They're super cheap. You don't need to get an SSD, but just have one place that you download all of them locally. Um, and I know Apple's got really good at iCloud and there's probably a small risk of losing data, but why don't you have a copy of it yourself anyway? It's
0: a good, it's a good thing to be aware of. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I'm thanks for the question on this cuz it, it's kind of like a little gray area that we that you can miss if you're not aware of it. Yeah. And and this is another one like to talk to your family members about because the non-Mac power users, listeners are completely clueless to this. Mm-hmm. And and all of them buy the you know that's the reason Apple sells the entry level laptop with the the too small SSD. Yeah. So they all run into it and they just push the button. OK, cloud storage, Apple, whatever. That's good. And they don't realize that they're not backing anything up.
0: Yeah, you can you can make a mistake without really even
1: realizing it until it's too late. This was an expensive month for me. I bought some Apple stuff, but I also bought a Stream Deck.
0: I'd forgotten about this until it showed up in this document. I was like, oh, yeah, you did buy that. So how's it going and how are you using it?
1: Well, it's great. I mean, the reason I bought it is I'm going to be doing an update for the Keyboard Maestro Field Guide and version nine of Keyboard Maestro added Stream Deck support. And, you know, I've always wanted an additional set of keys to make things happen on my on my Mac. You know, I talked when we did the Keyboard Maestro show about how I really like the number keys, not necessarily to do number key, you know, touchpad entry, but to have like another pile of keys I can tie to macros. And this is that. but it's external.
0: Yeah, so and, this is this is basically uh a little box. I guess it, is it USB to to the yeah. iMac? Yeah. And it has a bunch of programmable buttons, right? So you can change what the buttons look like with icons and and colors, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's a uh, it's a programmable keyboard that Elgato sells. And it was really, it's called Stream Deck. It's made for people that want, you know, we were talking about Twitch earlier. If you want Uh to do live streams to Twitch or YouTube and have a way, it's like a control surface, you know, Uh, the video production houses have been using them for years, but this is kind of custom made for the, uh, uh, Home gamer, or maybe you know, streaming prosumer kind of thing, okay, where or, or you could set them up. And it's got a bunch of pre- programmable stuff related directly to YouTube and Twitch built in it right out of the box. Um, you can also uh, program websites into it and whatnot. Like, if you want to go to 512pixels.net, I can put a button on here and I just tap it, it opens Safari and brings me to that web page. Um, but with Keyboard Maestro version 9. It just that's the reason I bought one, honestly, because it allows you to use these buttons to drive keyboard maestro scripts. You know, the whole idea of automation is triggers and and actions. Well, now I've got 32 additional triggers sitting on my desk at any one time and it's actually more than that because there's different ways you can trigger the buttons you can do a long press versus a short press and things like that but 32 is, is enough for me at this point mm-hmm. um it's really well made uh it's uh, it's plastic but it's got a a screen technology in the back of it and behind each button so when you set up the buttons you can t- uh copy in an icon and then you can um you know and then you can give it a label or not give it a label so you can add your own additional icons And then all of a sudden it becomes very customizable. So visually you can look at it and press any button and make things happen. Um, I'll share in the show notes. um, I think I can share these. If they're still available on the internet, I will share them. It's a group of, of, um, Star Wars icons. I think they were made for OmniFocus originally, and I've used them for years and I like added a bunch of these. So like my morning routine button to, to get me to email and all the stuff I do in the morning is I call it do, you know, Mm -hmm. because of that quote from Yoda. So I've got a little Yoda face here. I just tap my Yoda button in the morning and I can get going. Um, There's different kinds of sleep I do with my Mac. And I always did those traditionally with keyboard shortcuts. Um, Now I've, I've tied them to specific buttons. Um, The things I'm finding it really useful for are kind of complex web interactions where I go to multiple websites um i find it very useful for setups like screen setups like i can push one button and my computer sets itself up for legal and I push another button and it sets my my computer sets itself up for podcasting um i've also found it very useful for some of the keyboard maestro scripts i use to generate documents as a lawyer where i press a button and things start happening and all of this stuff was available beforehand you know i was getting by with all of these without a stream deck um you know because i had a bunch of complicated keyboard shortcuts but the simplicity of a button there's there's something nice to that right and it it looks nice on the desk you know you've got the custom icons you reach over you press the button um it's not a must have but it it is if you have a lot of automation on your mac it is a nice to have
0: you could uh straighten out your option arrow up with this
1: <laughs> yeah i could i could but you know for that it wouldn't make sense because with the whole point of Al of Alfred is to have your hands on the keyboard right. already and to be able to run with that. You don't want to lift your hands off the keyboard. But of course but it's But it would be cool. Yeah, it would be. It would be. But for me I find it like the kind of startup things, or like I said, I need to generate a group of legal documents and I have templated and automated mm-hmm. some of that. I press a button and, and that gets it going. Or like I said, sitting down at my computer. And I, ha- I have the top row just for different setups of how I use my computer. And there's something about just sitting on the computer, looking at that, and pressing the the button related to the, to the mode of work I want to go into, and then my computer automatically setting itself up for that. It's it's really nice. And you know, with Keyboard Maestro, basically there are no rules <laughs> the uh, uh, there are no limits to what you can do to automate your your Mac. And now you can tie all of that to one
0: of these buttons. I think you need to set one of these up that's red with a trash can on it, and it deletes the selected file in Finder. It's like a really intense way to delete a folder or a file.
1: Yeah, I like that. Go to the trash. Boom! I wonder if, because I know there's like a way when you format the drive where you can do multiple erasures. Maybe there's a way you can like really kill a file on the Mac. I would be good. And uh, I'll have to look into that.
0: <laughs> That'd be awesome.
1: I'll put like the, and I'll use for the icon, I'll get the little nuclear symbol. Oh, you know? that's good. Get toxic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I file's gone forever.
1: It is fun um, <laughs> finding the right icons to fit to it because this is a visual device. I mean, the reason you buy it is you want something visual. And I, I was always kind of tempted by those gaming keyboards, you know, um, and I'm not talking about the full on keyboard. You know, but I'm talking about the little things that like go to the right or the left of your keyboard. They have a palm rest usually on them and they have a bunch of keys and maybe a little toggle. Mm -hmm. But I was always attracted to the idea of one of those, but they just look goofy and I'm not a gamer. At least I'm definitely not a, a Mac gamer. I just couldn't live with the idea of putting it on my desk, you know? Right. This is actually way better for what I want because I've got a custom icon that's on the button. You know, it relates to what I want the device to do. Um, it looks nice on a desk. I've got to push back far enough so I don't see the cord stretched across my desk. That's another big problem for me. I, my anal retentive, I'll, I'll send it, I'll put a picture in the show notes of how I've got this thing arranged on my desk. But it's it's really nice.
0: I, I'm glad that you are, I'm glad you're liking it. it I, yeah. I don't think it's for me, but I'm glad that it exists for people who want something like this.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's definitely not, I could, I was getting by just fine without it. It's a little bit of a toy, but it's a toy that is sticking.
0: This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Pingdom, the company that makes website performance monitoring really easy. And everyone loves a fast website. Pingdom is helping keep your favorite sites online, things like Netflix and Amazon and Spotify and Slack and Relay FM. These are just a few of the companies who trust Pingdom to take care of their website monitoring. Websites are complicated today, but you can monitor any site transaction with Pingdom, stuff like user registrations and logins, or maybe checkouts, much, much more. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. And if disaster strikes, you'll be the first to know with their robust alert system. And it's super easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is your URL, and they take care of the rest. That's it. So go to Pingdom.com slash relayfm right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code MPU at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and Relay FM.
1: All right. Uh, since we last did a feedback show, we've covered iOS 13. It's been released, and you've been able to spend more time with it.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's here, and I have a couple of... Uh, uh, one thing in particular that's really bothering me that I didn't think would bother me. Okay. And I wanted to, to air my grievance with you, David. <laughs> all right. iOS 13 has a dark mode. It's great. You can turn it on and off manually. You can have it set to come on in the evenings. I have discovered, like on the Mac, I don't want to use dark mode all the time, but there are some apps that I prefer... To use their dark theme. So in iOS 12, say Overcast and Tweetbot, you could use a dark theme even though there was no dark mode in the OS itself. And there have been a couple ways developers have approached this in iOS 13. The official Twitter client allows you to keep that app in the dark theme even if you don't use dark mode in the OS. So everything else is bright, but I want the Twitter client to use its darker palette. That is how I prefer to use TweetBot. I like TweetBot in a darker theme, but at least with their first version of TweetBot that supports iOS 13, they have locked the dark theme to the dark system mode. So if I want to use TweetBot in a dark theme, I have to be using dark mode everywhere else. And I just feel like even though it adds complexity, that apps should have a toggle to respect the system mode or to be manually set in their own themes. Because there are people, I think a lot of people, judging the Twitter conversation I saw about this, who want to use iOS in the light mode, but they still want certain apps like Tweetbot or Overcast to be uh, to be dark. And I don't know what Mark is going to do with Overcast yet, but Tweetbot at least has broken this. And I think it's a mistake because I think people do want the most customization possible. I see their side of it. I see that, oh, if you're using dark mode, you want a dark theme. If you're using light mode, you want to use a light theme. But I don't think that sticks to everything all the time. And you can default it to be that way to to respect the system setting. But I think there should be a way that users can break that link and decide on their own if your app should be dark or not. Yeah, I mean,
1: but that's really up to the developer. I mean, they mm-hmm. they could put a preference in there that allowed you to not respect the system dark or light mode, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that will probably become the best practice, but this is still the early days. And I think like with TweetBot, people are giving them a lot of feedback this week about <laughs> about this. And I think they'll probably change course and give people that option. But it's just... Anytime there's a new big system feature, their developers implement it in different ways until it, it sort of settles out into best practices. And I expect that will happen now. Uh, but for now, it's a little frustrating that just because I want to use the light mode most of the time that all my apps, or at least a lot of my apps, are, are stuck there, at least for now.
1: I had a, a, a funny Twitter moment this week where I loaded the native app. I hadn't used it in a long time and I'm very used to these third party apps that are pretty simple for Twitter. It's just a timeline of all the tweets mm-hmm. and they're in order. And I had kind of a like an old man moment where it's like I couldn't understand how the app was working. And it's like, how come the most recent, like the most recent tweet it was showing me was 10 minutes ago? And how come, where's the rest of them? <laughs> and it's like they, you know, I, they've built that, that Twitter app around, you know, their business model not around the traditional way Twitter worked. And I felt really dumb for a few minutes. It took me a while to kind of figure out how the app works.
0: I agree with you. The, the official Twitter client is a bit overwhelming at times, and I don't love it. I do keep it around because there are, there are features that aren't available in third-party clients. In the past, there have been times where I've taken TweetBot off my phone and just have the Twitter client, and that does make me use Twitter less because I don't like that client. And I may end up doing that once Twitter for Mac comes back and Catalina because they're they're going to have a a version based on their iPad app. And I'm going to give that a shot because there are features that are nice. But if you're used to the simplicity of Tweetbot or Twitterific, yeah, the Twitter app's a little bit messy in places. I think you're you're right about that.
1: Well, I I'm gonna use it now because I I don't like that feeling of not understanding how something works. So mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm gonna master it. But Well,
0: and it's inevitable that will be the only way we can access Twitter anyways, right? Because they are going to slowly yeah. kill they are slowly killing third party client. Yeah. So it's coming for us.
1: Yeah. Well I'll tell you. Having used it. By the time this show airs, thirteen point one will be out. Yes, so we're going to be out of this weird phase where we have the new release, but the, some of the best parts are waiting for uh-huh. a week and a half.
0: And it's not out on the iPad yet, right? Like <laughs> it's, it's yeah. just it's really it's been a messy release cycle.
1: Yeah, it is, but it's okay. In fact, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that they they bit off more they could chew than they could chew this year?
0: I've thought a lot about this. I don't know if they bit off more than they could chew, but clearly at some point this summer something came off the rails and whether that's because they were trying to do too much or because one big project went sideways and affected the rest of their schedule. I tend to think it's the second because Apple basically rolled back all of the iCloud drive changes. Yeah. And I wonder that when they were trying to implement iCloud drive changes, like shared folders and a bunch of other features that aren't here and they're not in 13.1, that that made them take their eye off the ball for a while. And by the time they decided, okay, this is not going to make it, it was kind of too late to catch back up. That's my pet theory. I have no sources or little birdies telling me that's right or wrong. That's just my pet theory in my experience, you know, sort of managing, you know, software projects. uh, The the few times I've done that in my career, because you can get hung up on a feature and then you sort of realize that you've spent a lot of time and not made it anywhere. I think them rolling out thirteen O, then holding the iPad for thirteen one, and doing that all a week later, I think they're making the best of a bad situation. I would imagine that moving forward, whatever happened, Apple is going to work really hard that it doesn't happen again, because I'm sure they're unhappy with the way this has gone because it's really public. And, you know, we'll see if they improve next year. But even if they don't, I do think it's time for Apple to realize that. That everything has to be in point zero. Oh. So last year, Group FaceTime wasn't available at launch and they rolled it out a little bit later. And none of us would be talking about this if Apple framed it as these are the iOS 13 features. We expect these to be available earlier. And then over the next several months, we're going to roll these other things out. If you just say that in the beginning, you don't have all this hand-wringing on the outside when things don't ship, and maybe Apple should rely on that language more in the future.
1: Yeah, I, I, what I don't want them to do is say, okay, we're going to really scale back yeah. our expectations every year because that creates a, that's a separate problem. I mean, that's why the iPad people stopped buying the iPad and why all of us on podcasts and blogs were complaining all the time because it wasn't growing fast enough. You know, They weren't fixing it fast enough. So Mm -hmm. I I really feel like it's okay if you don't get everything out with the 13.0 release, with the 0.0 release, so long as you're working on it and you're going to make it right. I feel like that's okay. And, And I think people need to to be willing to accept that if they want the platforms to grow. And I think that's pretty important. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm loving files. I'm loving shortcuts. I'm getting, um, email. And thank you everyone who purchased the shortcuts field guide. I really appreciate your support. And, and I love hearing back. I mean, people like customers, and even people who haven't bought the shortcuts field guide, but people are making their own apps now with shortcuts. I think this is, it's kind of the dream, right? Um, You have a unique problem on your device and you make your own custom solution for it. Uh, I remember reading an article about when they made the first Apple computer, they didn't have any software to ship with it because Waz thought, well, everybody will just make their software. You know, Mm -hmm. you'll buy one of these and you'll write the program to solve the problem that you have. But of course, they learn very quickly. A lot of people don't have the skill set and the time to learn the skill set to make their own stuff. But Shortcuts has lowered the bar so far that I, I'm hearing some awesome emails and uh, seeing some great things people are making. And they're not even using like the most advanced features and shortcuts because they've got the power low enough in the stack now that you can do a lot with it. So I, I love that.
0: It's really cool to see this coming in. And I'm particularly excited now that 13.1 is out. That's going to get even more interesting with the automation stuff. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about NFC stickers and, and I, they just keep popping up around my office.
1: <laughs> I, I got an email from a listener that had an obvious suggestion. I haven't even written him back yet. I haven't had time, but the uh, he said, don't put multiple stickers, just put a sticker and then have an if statement in your shortcut to look at the time. You know, like if you want a morning versus a night mm-hmm. one, you That's could good. put an if statement if it's before X. That's true. Uh, the, uh, it's kind of more complicated, the reason I have two, but but that was a good idea. I mean, I think there's just going to be a lot of fun discovery with this as we go forward.
0: Yeah, it's the beginning of a new era with shortcuts as we as we spoke about.
1: Yeah. And you are uh you said that you're getting into the new photos app too.
0: Yeah, I've really been enjoying it. There's this new feature where it will, I'm reaching for my phone as I talk. It will give you the highlights on a given time period. So if you look at months, for instance, I see September 2019, August 2019. Oh, August 2019 is a picture of you and Quinn at our uh, podcast-a-thon. <laughs> All right. And what's cool about this is it changes over time. So if I look at years, uh, it's my youngest's birthday this past weekend. And I see in 2014, I see a picture of me holding him as a newborn. And then Basically, every year since then is a picture of his birthday party, because uh, we're right around that time, over the previous years. And you could have searched for that in photos before, but it was kind of buried. And now it's just showing you what it considers the, I guess, the most impactful or the most interesting given that time period. And, of course, it changes over time. I'm really enjoying that. I think that's super cool because it is surfacing things in my photo library, that I haven't uh, thought about in a long time or haven't seen in a long time. And that, that's pretty, pretty special.
1: Well, I mean, one of the biggest problems with photos these days is that it's so easy to take a lot of them mm-hmm. that discovery is an issue. You know, I mean, I, I talked about this, I think, on a prior episode of Mac Perry's when I was a kid. I our family didn't have a lot of money. We I think we had like one or two rolls of film a year, so it was really easy to find the pictures. You know, usually there was the obligatory picture of each kid standing next to their cake on their birthday, and then a couple at Easter and a couple at Christmas. You know, right? But or or the Halloween costume shot too. But the uh, um now you know. He, my family, we take more pictures in a day easily than when I grew up, we took in a year. So discovery and finding the good ones is such a challenge. I think they've come a long way. I mean, I, I've, I've not made a mystery of the fact that the next field guide is going to be about photos. So if you're listening and you're having a particular problem or have something you'd like me to help you out with, with a new photos field guide, send me an email. Cause I'm still doing a lot of the the course layout. So I'd love to hear what people's problems are, but, but this new version I mean this is this has been a progression. It didn't just happen this year but over the last several years. I think they've they've really helped a lot with the discovery problem.
0: I mean I've got almost 50,000 items in my photo library. Like there's no way yeah. I can manage that manually and so for it to surface things I just I'm having a lot of fun with it.
1: And and we mentioned this on the show last week but the the thing that really stands out for me and we're going to talk about our new hardware in a minute but is now applying all those photo effects and corrections to video is amazing. That's something that yeah. I like a lot more than I, I... It's something that I needed and I didn't know about. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Now that I have it, I can't imagine life without it. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by FreshBooks. Go to freshbooks.com slash MPU for online invoicing made easy. Hey freelancers, you want to save 192 hours? Our friends at FreshBooks can help you do just that with their super simple cloud accounting software. By simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. They've got some great new features. One of my favorites is the new notification center. It's like your own personal assistant. You'll always know what's changed in your business since you last logged in and what needs to be dealt with pronto. They also have the way to track the email to the client. So it'll show you whether they've seen it, which puts an end to the guessing game as to, well, did they see it or did they not see it? You know, when you're trying to decide if they pay you. I'll tell you, I became a FreshBooks customer a few years ago, and the reason was because I was doing all my Max Sparky invoicing through like a pages document and a number spreadsheet. And that, Stephen, was not cutting it. I wasn't paying close enough attention. That
0: makes me nervous.
1: <laughs> the fact is, then I would forget about an invoice. And like after like six months goes by, isn't it on you, really? Can you really ask someone to pay a six-month-old invoice? Yeah. You know? You know, so I, I realized that I was losing money because of my desire to keep things simple and so i just signed up for a freshbooks account and i found out it's actually easier generating an invoice you just click a button once you have the vendor in the system you click their name you type in the amount you send the invoice it tracks it for you a lot of the customers they pay the invoice immediately because freshbooks has that great online payment system it's just you know it was like it was such a dummy move for me not to do this like Ten years ago, but uh, I love FreshBooks. They're great. I'm a customer too. Um, if you want to try them out, head over to FreshBooks.com/mpu and enter Mac Power Users in the How did you hear about us section. Uh, you get that 30 day free trial for listeners of the show. There's no credit card required. And if you're having any problems getting paid, FreshBooks will help you out. Once again, that is FreshBooks.com/mpu. And thank you, FreshBooks, for all of your support of this show and Relay FM.
0: So there are new devices out. We yes. spoke a little about this on the podcast-a-thon and other places, but we've had them a little while now. And to me, at least, it's about the camera this year. I'm curious uh, how the camera on your 11 Pro has been treating you so far.
1: I love it. Every year, the cameras get better. I feel like this year, the improvement of the camera is more noticeable than it has been in years prior. Um, the, the couple things that have stood out to me is backlit photos. Um, the, uh, we, uh, you know, we went to Disneyland yesterday, it was Sunday afternoon, celebrating, getting, got the field get out. We all went to Disneyland and, and had brunch together. Uh, and the sun was kind of low. It was early in the morning. And I took some pictures of my family and they were backlit and th- they came out great. And it wasn't like I was testing that feature out I just took the picture and like in days past, I would have held up the camera and said, oh, they're backlit and their faces are dark and I can't see their faces. We can't take the photo. We all got to move. But then actually the picture just took out. And the only reason I know it worked because then my wife took some pictures of the kids from the exact same place with her XS and they didn't come out because they were so backlit. And so that stood out to me. Um, the, The third lens on the pros is great. So I have so much... Choice now with the camera, um, I I tweeted out a picture. I'll I'll put a link to the tweet in the show notes of the Ferris wheel at ad- uh, California Adventure from all three lenses, and it's quite a bit of reach.
0: The ultra wide is a lot of fun, a lot more fun than I anticipated because it it gives you not only a different perspective, but just they they feel. Much bigger than something that you think would come from an iPhone, in a sense, right? Especially like landscape. I don't know. It's just it's been really cool to play with it, and I'm excited to uh, really push it. I haven't gotten to shoot much outside, and I'm looking forward to getting out and doing some landscape type shots with it because I think they're going to be really cool.
1: Well, one a couple things about the ultra wide that stood out to me was number one. I mean, landscapes are great, but getting close to somebody and shooting ultra wide is a very interesting kind of artistic thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And I did a couple of those. That was really fun. Also, like we went into, because I was at Disneyland, I went to Batu. I don't go to Disneyland without visiting the star Wars, of course. And there's a shop in there called doc on And it's like, they've got tons of memorabilia and stuff from all the movies, the star Wars movies. And I'd always gone in there and I've taken a lot of pictures, but I could never really get the breadth of the room. Because it's a really high room, but it's relatively small. And getting that wide lens really, I got some great pictures with that. And the other thing I get with the ultra wide lens that I hadn't even thought of uh, is the portrait mode now allows you to shoot portrait 1X or 2X. You know, traditionally portrait mode had to use the zoom lens as the primary lens. Right. And, and so the problem is if you were in kind of tight spaces or like, let's say just you're sitting across from somebody at the dinner table or at the lunch table um, and you want to shoot a portrait shot of them, they were way too close. You almost had to like get out of your chair and move back to get that portrait shot. And now you just hit the little one X button and then it uses the primary, the, I guess I'd call it the normal lens and the wide lens to get the portrait effect. And you don't have to get out of your chair anymore. So that's, that's kind of nice too.
0: The other thing that's sort of interesting with the the cameras is the the selfie camera also has a a wider angle. You can turn the phone into portrait mode or you can tap on the UI and it backs it out a little bit. So if you're taking a group selfie, that's a lot easier than it has been. Google did that for or noticeably did it with the Pixel last year. And I'm glad Apple's caught up with that. That front facing camera is a lot better than it used to be even a couple years ago. And then have you played at all with night mode? I have at home and then we actually did a demo of it on the live show where the studio, uh, we turned off all the lights and it's pretty wild what it can do. I want to get out this, I'm I'm hoping to get out this weekend with the tripod because if the phone is on a tripod, I can shoot for even longer. And of course it would uh, hopefully look a little bit better because there's no handshake in it. The phone does a really good job at trying to to work out any handshake because it's got all sorts of sensors knowing what the phone is doing. But even just handheld, it is incredible what it can shoot. And then you like put the phone down and look with your regular human eyeballs and see the difference. It kind of doesn't make any sense.
1: No, and I haven't like um, Rene Ritchie. I think just did a video comparing the night mode between all the other devices. And I don't know which one's best. I've never used any of the Android devices but it is such an improvement for iPhone, regardless of how it stacks up. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had some friends visiting Saturday night and uh, we were outside in the backyard and then we wanted to take a picture I don't know if I ever told you this, even there's a stormtrooper in my backyard. Oh yeah. I'm I'm aware of his presence. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's the, um, we were, we were having a good time, but it was late. And like, I have some solar lights out there to light things and the solar batteries had run out. And so it was dark back there, but they wanted a a picture with the stormtrooper. So I'm like, well, let's try it. And I went out and took this night mode picture and it came out really good. It was shocking how good it came out to take a picture in relative darkness. It's
0: pretty wild and i think it will just get better with time yeah what, what about battery life have you noticed a difference yeah i mean i'm on the the 11 pro the the regular size and the, i think apple was saying uh four hours more than the than the 10s at the regular size and i i don't know if that's true or not i mean i'm not doing like battery yeah severe battery testing over here but i can tell you it definitely does seem like at the end of the day, I've got a lot more gas left in the tank than I would have on the 10s. I was never super thrilled with the 10s battery life, but it seems like the promise they made, uh, they seem to help their end of the bargain with this. And so far, I've really been happy with the battery life.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know if the, the science is out there yet or exactly how they improved it so substantially in one year. I when, watching the presentation. I thought it was the chip because they right before they talked about battery life, they had the guy up talking about how well, now we can turn off essentially individual clusters of transistors, so mm-hmm. we're using way less power on the CPU. And then the next thing they say, oh, and also we got five hours of battery. I thought that was, um, I thought that was why. But I guess the battery is actually bigger in it, and there is probably a lot of reasons. But the uh, you know, like I said, we went to Disneyland yesterday. We did the the official Disneyland test of the new phone. And I did not bring the battery case. In fact, I don't have a battery case anymore and the, um, the external battery I didn't bring either. And I had like half of a battery left when we, and you know, we, we didn't stay the whole day, but I, I use substantially less battery than I normally would when I'm there. You know, the, you know, the, the there there is terrible. So you're always using the cellular radio. I'm taking lots of pictures and because it's a new phone, I'm playing with it the whole time. The, uh, it's it's great you know i'm curious to see over time i have a different story about the new watch but we'll get to that in a minute
0: i think they will probably be a battery case for these there was a rumor uh floating around that it looked like that that was coming they're just going to be unstoppable (laughs) with a a battery case on them can you imagine especially the max it's just gonna it's gonna run forever
1: i think i'd probably take a pass on that honestly the um I did get the battery case for the last one because my wife and I had last year was Daisy's upgrade year. So we both had the identical phone and she does the, the things she does her work. Sometimes she has really long hours at work and she works for Disney. So she's dealing with all those problems I told you about every day and uh, every day. So for her, we got it kind of for her, but then I would borrow it whenever we had, uh, like if I had a trip, whenever you get on an airplane, having one of those battery cases really just solves the problem. Mm hmm. But I think with the amount of battery I have here, I can probably just put an anchor and a cable in my bag and be fine. Um, but we'll see. We'll see.
0: I like the green. It's uh it's a lot nicer than I thought it would be. In fact, in some lights it, it looks like the space gray. It's a lot more subtle than I than I thought it would be. How do you feel about the green uh tinted stainless steel edges? I you
1: know That's the part I'm least excited about. <laughs> really. It feels a. Little, it reminds me of like my seventies upbringing, <laughs> you know, the, the tint of it. It's it's kind of a strange tint, but um, but that's okay. I'm over it.
0: What about you? I went with this space gray this time. I've done silver the last couple of years, and uh, I really did it to help maybe minimize the weirdness of the camera bump. Like in the black leather case, it's sort of all dark and you can't the white glass isn't really highlighting the, the camera bumps. I don't care for the black stainless look. I, I like the bright stainless around the edges, but in a case you don't see much of them. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, the green, like I said, the green's nicer than I thought it would be. Silver, of course, is exactly what you expect. It's the same as it's been, but I think that it is something, if you're curious about the green, it's worth seeing in person if possible, because I think you'll either know it's for you or not pretty quickly.
1: Oh yeah, I don't regret it. I I would if I had to do over again, I would get the green again. I I like it. But the um now you put you said you've got it in a case. So what case are you using?
0: Uh the black leather Apple case, which is what I had on my 10S. I uh have broken a lot of phones and I'm trying to behave and put it in a case. I will say once the weather cools off and I can wear a long pants, you know, with like real pockets, I will, I won't have it in a case every day, but in shorts, whether you're asking for trouble because so, they will just shoot out of your pocket. So for now, at least it's at the black Apple leather case. About the clear plastic
1: one mm-hmm. for it. And I'm not going to use it very often, but like when we went to Disney the other day, I put it in there because I knew everybody in the family was going to want to use it. And I didn't want to, uh, I don't know. I'm just manic about my new phone, I guess, but the, uh, Generally, I don't keep mine in a case and it's never really been a problem. Knock on wood.
0: (laughs) I keep an Apple note of my iPhone breakage history. Would you like me to read it to you? (laughs) Well, how many entries are there? Let me find it. Uh, There are several. I broke an iPhone 4S, fell out of a car. I dropped an iPhone 6 down a flight of stairs in a parking garage and shattered it. That's good. Well, if you're going to do it, do it right. (laughs) That thing exploded. Uh, I bent an iPhone 6 Plus. How'd you do that? I kept it near the emergency brake in the car I drove at the time, (laughs) and I pulled the emergency brake up. It was like between the seats, and it bent the phone. I love that. It's like cantilevered. (laughs)
1: Noticeably bent the phone. You're like, man, this brake is really stiff today. Just keep yanking on
0: it. What's that crunching sound? (laughs) Brakes sound terrible. Uh, I broke an iPhone 7 plus screen. I knocked it off my desk in my studio. And my studio has rugs in it, but it's a concrete floor and it fell right between the rugs onto concrete. <laughs> I, love it. I broke the back of my iPhone 10. I still don't know how I did that. One day I pulled the case of it or I looked I flipped it over oh, it was in a case. I pulled it out of the case and I cracked the back. I don't know when that happened. And then my iPhone 10s max, I dropped a socket onto it underneath. I was working on my truck and I dropped a socket, and it fell directly onto the screen of the phone and broke it. It was in a case, but no oh, yeah. case was going to save that, right? Because, like, it was just the screen. Yeah. I don't have a great track record, is what I'm saying. It's not
1: good. I once, um, I don't know, probably five, six years ago, I had... We were coming back from a family event, and we had a bunch of... My kids and my wife were in the car, so the usual spot where I put my phone was, was occupied. Mm-hmm. And I made the mistake of, like, putting it between my legs in the car. mm and then when we got home, I got out of the car and forgot yes. it was there, and then it broke. But that's
0: how my 4S broke. Is the first phone I broke exactly the same thing? It fell face down on concrete. And I knew it was done.
1: Yeah, but I have. That's the only break I've had. I've been pretty lucky, and I rarely use a case. But I do buy the Apple Care because after a year, they get handed to my kids, mm-hmm. and then and they, we always use up the Apple Care. They will, they will break them. <laughs> yes. yes. i in can't year judge. two. It's like, yeah, at one point it was a, uh, one time we were going somewhere and my daughter dropped her phone. Like it was a, it was a great, it was a impressive drop, you know, mm-hmm. it didn't break it, but it was an impressive drop. And I, I just said, you really hate that phone, don't you? And now that's like a thing in my family. Everybody talks about <laughs> How they hate their phones. That's <laughs> but good. But the uh, but I uh, yeah so I get the Apple Care, but I'm usually pretty good. I but I like my green one. I don't really understand this U1 chip thing. I'm looking forward. I guess Apple's has a tile competitor that they that they're working on, and it's, it's going to make weird, yeah. give, give your phone like sonar powers. But I haven't really figured that out yet. But I like it. I also bought a new watch though.
0: Yes, I am extremely interested in this because you bought the titanium. What did you wear before? You had an aluminum before, right? Uh,
1: I had for I had a steel one, and then I bought aluminum because you know I was getting them so frequently, right? But I decided to like spoil myself this year, and um, I was listening to all my friends on podcasts that buy fancy watches, and I'm never going to do that. But I do want to have a nice Apple Watch, and sure, and I you can resell the old ones, and and I actually was not going to buy one this year. You know the the old story, right? Oh yeah, but the The always on thing it was like immediate like yes, I want always on i mm-hmm. I want that, and since I'm going to buy one, I decided to buy the the nice one and it was it was a hundred dollars more than stainless, and um I don't know it it was a luxury, but i I really like it. I like the weight of it, I really like the way it looks, you know. I'm looking at it right now, smiling.
0: It is really nice. So you have worn the aluminum and the stainless. My yeah. impression from reading the numbers and then handling them in the Apple Store is that the titanium, weight-wise, is basically in between the aluminum and steel. Is that yeah. is that line up with your it, usage?
1: It feels more like aluminum than it does like steel. If that makes sense, I yeah. I, I feel like it feels lighter than heavier. Um, the taps on it are a little more distinct than with the stainless steel. Um, but otherwise, it's just, you know, you could get by with the aluminum. It's mm-hmm. fine. Um, but I just wanted to get get myself something nice, and I, I love it. Um, the one thing that's interesting to me is I talked about how we had that party at our house Saturday night. For the first time, and as long as I can remember, I got the warning saying, hey, your watch is running out of battery.
0: Whoa. I haven't, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that on my Series 4.
1: Yeah, this, this was like 10 at night, and Daisy and I went to the gym at like 6 a.m. on Saturday morning, so it was, it was a long day, and I had done a long workout, but I got the message that I hadn't seen in a long time, like, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> I never saw that before, mm-hmm. and uh, so I'm, I'm watching it. like Right now, as we're recording the show, it's, it's one o'clock, and I'm at 77%, and I did the same. I had a 6 a.m. workout today, so it's not terrible. But for whatever reason, that day, I used up the battery. And uh, and that's something I am now aware of. Like yeah. It's a th- it's a thought to me now.
0: Um, I'm curious how that goes over time. You know, so Some people say, I think there's probably something to it, that these devices do a lot in the beginning, right? After you set them up and yeah. maybe it'll settle down.
1: That was my uh, second day of ownership, so I'm right. sure.
0: I bought my wife a Series 5. She had the 38 millimeter Series 3 aluminum, so the small one. And I bought her the 48 millimeter so still the small one but you know a little bigger aluminum series 5 as a surprise i bought it for her and gave it to her and said hey this is for you and she's really liking the always-on display and for her coming from a series 3 my expectation is the battery life will be better Uh, she hasn't complained about it yet but i know in the series 3 there were some days she would hit the power reserve you know in the evening especially if she had a long workout so I, I'm going to keep an eye on that. She's been sick this week, so she hasn't worked out with it yet, but I'm I'm going to keep an eye on what she says about that. But uh, I think she's really enjoyed it so far. And I, I got to say, even though I don't wear one every day, uh, I have been tempted by it. I've actually wore my Apple Watch almost the entire week leading up to the podcast-a-thon. <laughs> Funny how that works, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, because we were so busy and like we were on St. Jude's campus for basically two and a half days and you know, doing stuff leading up to it, I wanted to be, you know, if something was coming on on my phone, I wanted to be aware of it because I wasn't at my computer. In my office, I'm at my computer all day. I can see when a Slack message comes in. I don't need my Apple Watch to tell me. Uh, But I was like, oh yeah, there there are things about that I do like. I still don't want to wear it every day. But the titanium is really tempting because I, like you, had stainless. This Series 4 is my first aluminum watch. And I honestly just don't really... Like, the aluminum looks fine, and the lightness is nice, but I miss the harder display. This has got scratches on it. And I I like the look of the titanium a lot. It kind of looks like a DeLorean, right? Like the Back to the Future car. Yeah. Even though, ironically, that car was made of stainless steel, it sort of has that same finish to it. The brushing, at least to my eye, is not really super noticeable. Like, in some of Apple's pictures, it looks like You could see the brushing on it from a mile away. And it's actually very low-key, I think, in person. It sort of diffuses light. I think it's really nice looking. If I buy one, uh, I would be tempted to go that route. But at this point, I still plan on skipping this generation just because I don't use it every day.
1: Yeah, well, it's nice because it's it's kind of – it's a little more rugged looking, but it's also very nice. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can work with a suit. It can work with jeans. Yeah. Um, but I uh, I really like it. It's it's interesting. It had a, it has a, a couple of custom watch faces, or at least one that I'm aware of, and I, I've never had that experience before.
0: So that's kind of fun. It's the fancy edition. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about watchOS six? I did not run the watchOS beta because that seems like a really bad idea. So it's new to me. I like the new features. I like the uh, warn me about loud noises, and I yeah. really like the new watch faces. I actually really like the California watch face it's extremely flexible uh, i'm going to put a, a screenshot in the show notes so you can see how i have mine set up and david i wonder if you would share yours as well sure
1: sure that's my primary right now too
0: okay yeah shoot me shoot me a screenshot i'm going to send you mine uh right now so we can we can look at them in real time mine is uh is very straightforward uh it's basically monochrome i have some around the edges my complications are to-doist the date, uh, the cal- the next thing on the calendar, and then the weather, via carrot weather, and then activity. And I really, that's really the five that I need. I honestly could get rid of Todoist if I only had four slots, but uh, I really like the way this looks because it, I always liked the original utility watch face. It was like sort of the same thing, like a circular face with complications around the edges. And I thought they sort of messed it up when the watch got bigger. And so I've kind of recreated it here with California, and uh, I've been pretty happy with it. Okay, so I'm
1: trying something that's even kind of a bit more extreme for me, because I've always liked the thing about the Apple Watch being that it's a computer on your wrist and it can give you so much information. Right. But, uh, you know, I need reading glasses at this point, unfortunately. So when I tried out the California face, as you explain it, you've probably got the circular version with the complications around the edges. Um, the the way it displays the date, it gives you the day of the week and then it has like a a rotating dial underneath with right. the actual date. It's actually quite small. <laughs> and if you have if you have a little bit of uh uh issue with reading without glasses, it's almost impossible to see mm-hmm. the date on that. So I decided what the hell, I'm going to just take all the complications off. I use the big square version of it. And um and that puts the date on in a way that I can read even without glasses on. And, you know, the main thing I need when I look at my watch is the time and the date. And then I put some more, you know, nerdy faces to the immediate right of that. So if I need to, I can swipe over into information when I need it. But I've been trying for the and actually I, I, I did install the beta about halfway through because that's what I do. So I've been trying to use this face for quite a while now, even on the old watch in this fashion. I kind of like it. I think it looks classy. Um, this cream color is the edition color you get if you buy the fancy edition watch. We'll put it in. Yeah, it's nice looking. And, um, and so I've got, I've just got the moon phase and the date and the time. My one complaint, and uh, Marco Arment actually tweeted about this over the weekend, and I totally agree, is they need to make the hands on this California face the opposite of the face. Because the way they do it is if you've got the um, white background, it's got white hands with a little black line around them. Or if you've got the black mm-hmm. background, it's got black hands with a little white thing around them. I feel like the hands, like it should be black hands on white face or white white face on black hands. And maybe that's a fancy watch thing that, you, that you're you not supposed to do. I don't know. But the um, I think it'd be more readable if they did that. And interestingly... With my face, when it goes into, um, you know, the frozen mode. I, I don't know what do you call the mode where it you're not looking at it, but it's it's displaying
0: Yeah, I've kind of referred to it as like low, like low power mode, but that's not yeah. right. Yeah, I don't know
1: when you're not looking what? at it mode. Well, when you, exactly. When you put this California face into not looking at it mode, it gives you white hands against a black face and it looks great. I just wish, wish I could do that, you know, always. But um, anyway, I, I like it. Um, And then I, I am using some of the more, like I'm using the infographic modular and, um, a couple other faces as well for, for like, I have a whole watch face de- devoted to like health and fitness mm-hmm. where it gives me my rings and I can kick off a workout and it has the weather. So I've got like a bunch of computer nerdy faces, but just for the walking around face, I realized I don't need to see all this stuff, you know? Um, and I kind of like just having the time and um, the date on it.
0: Yeah, no, it, it looks nice. I, have always used the solar face for that. Just like, uh, I usually add the weather because that's one thing I really want on my watch face. Yeah. If, if I want something less distracting or like a little bit cleaner, I, I do kind of wish too that you could have, maybe you can, before I say this, let's actually check. Uh, it would be nice to be able to have multiple instances of the same face. Yes, you can. You can. So I could have yeah. like a California set up the way yours is set up and then have one set up the way I want mine set up. So that, that is nice. Yeah. I still just long for the day of third-party watch faces or even more customization. I think that even though California is really customizable and the new ones are pretty nice, it's still hard to get exactly what you want. And some people don't like what's there at all. And it just It seems like Apple could open that up in a way that made sense for everybody. So fingers crossed. Oh,
1: I agree. I, I think third-party apps would be great. And there's a there's a watch face I also kind of discovered in the last year called Explorer. I think it came with the cellular watches originally, but now I think it's on all of them. Yeah, And um, it's kind of like the successor. I always like the utility face, but the utility face has never recovered from the transition to the larger watch face. I mean... Yeah,
0: a lot of them just just kind of died for me.
1: Well, I mean, just the way it displays complications and what it just, it's not that good. Um, so, so the Explorer is another one. Like the Explorer is the one where I show like what my next appointment is and it gets me to OmniFocus. That's kind of like the, let's get to work watch face, but the, um, but there's nothing wrong. If you've got an Apple watch with having a bunch of faces and just swiping through them. I've got a, I've got one for when I go to Disneyland, it's a collection of little star Wars icons in a, in a saved in a photo gallery. And so rather than, you know, putting pictures of my kids up, right. (laughs) I've got the, uh, the photo face pointed at this one gallery of icons. So when I'm walking around, I got a little R2D2 on my watch. It's kind of fun. There you go. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, take some, if you do have an Apple watch, next time you have some downtime, fiddle with the faces a little bit, you may find that you know, you can have different contexts. Like, I do like the idea of like, there's the work face, there's the workout face, uh, like the breathe app, which everybody makes fun of. I like that, um, and um, I uh, and I have I use the breathe face too when I want to kick off a little short meditation session. So, um, there's a lot you can do with that watch. I am not giving mine up anytime soon.
0: No, no, I I, I totally understand that, and it was interesting to wear it for the majority of a week. The things that uh, bother me about it, continue to bother me about it, but yeah. there's definitely still room for it in my life, even though it's not every day.
1: And Mike Hurley was giving me a hard time when I bought a fancy pin. He's like, Oh, you bought the fancy pin. Now it'll be the watch. Just wait. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Nope, that's not going to, I really, you know, the, the nerd part of me is still strong enough that I, I just love the idea of having this always on computer on my wrist doesn't bother me at all. I, I am pretty brutal with the notifications on it, though. Very few notifications get through to my to my wrist. But the ones that do get through are ones I want.
0: Well, you, you've got to be or just be going off all the time. Like, Yeah. Uh, if, I think that's the key thing when someone buys a watch is spend a good bit of time on those screens and be willing to go back in and change things as you go.
1: Yeah. I when, it, when the watch first came out, a bunch of the reviews were complaining that it's, like, too distracting. Mm-hmm. And it really got me kind of upset. I'm like, you guys, like these are people who are like reviewers for like the Wall Street Journal. And I'm like, can't you figure out how to turn that off? I mean, come on, <laughs> jeez. Anyway, maybe we should do a show someday on managing notifications across the board with Apple stuff. That'd be good. Well, if that's interesting to you, let us know in the forums or send us an email. That that may go into production. Yeah. All right, gang. Well, we went a little long today, but. Feedback shows usually do. There's
0: a lot of stuff to cover. A lot of stuff to talk about.
1: Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, it, it, since the last feedback show, we had show 500. Tons of amazing feedback from that. It, it feels really good hearing from folks who've been listening to the show for so long, and they're still learning a lot from it. And, and we love making it. So we're going to keep doing that. Uh, we will see you next week. Uh, thanks to our sponsors, 1Password, Smile, Pingdom, and FreshBooks. And have a great week, everybody.